This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. Today's guest is actually a friend of Molly's and my own back from our college days. When we were both studying speech therapy, we met Rachel Dorsey, who is on the show with us today. And she's doing such incredible things with the field and with her life that we wanted to bring her on the show. Rachel refers to herself as the Autistic SLP, and she owns the Autistic SLP Consultancy. Welcome, Rachel. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really cool and also kind of weird, but really cool to... uh... Uh, be back in this format uh, with you guys after uh, like six to seven years uh, of like outside call outside of graduate school or college experience. So tell us a little because we haven't talked since then. It's really just been on a professional level. So tell us as well as the listeners what has changed for you. Obviously, a lot has happened since the time that we knew you way back when. So tell us about your own journey, exploration, and how you came to be where you are now. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, just the time from grad or from undergrad to now. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, there's a whole like lifetime like prior. Um, so in, in, uh, undergrad, I did not have a, uh, autism diagnosis. Um, I, my only diagnosis was, uh, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, previously, like in, um, like counseling and stuff, I had like, I was told like OCD traits. And, um, and in undergrad, I mean, I was, I mean, I was really anxious about grades. I was really anxious about like, just, you know, how I came across and, uh, but I, I never, um, suspected myself as being autistic. And then, uh, graduate school happened and graduate school really, it really, it really forced me to um, re-examine myself, and I realized that how I thought I came across to to other people doesn't necessarily match how other people view me. And, um, I can get into like specific examples of that in graduate school, but, um, that was, that was kind of a hard, I mean, obviously that was a really hard, uh, thing to, to learn about myself. Can you maybe Um, just give us one example so that it makes a little more sense? Yeah. So, um, like the, 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 there's this one situation that like really sticks out in my head where um, I had uh, this friend in graduate school um, who was this, I mean, oh, she's she's so sweet, has always been just a very kind person. 
and um, in like every way. And uh, we had a online uh, quiz that uh, it was like halfway through the semester and the online quizzes were kind of like getting harder. And like we were told like, okay, like no looking at the textbook, but like everyone else is looking at the textbook to help with the online quiz. And um, she and me and another student were in the grad room lounge talking and my friend revealed like, oh, well, in this last quiz, I, I did look at the textbook to help me. And then I said to her, and in my head, I'm thinking like, obviously this is sarcastic, but in my head, I'm thinking, um, well, so I, I, well, so I said, uh, oh, you're just letting your morals decline, or this is just the start of your declining morals or something like that. And in my head, like she was, she is so sweet and, and amazing and, and everything that it was purely sarcastic. But then the, the other person that we were with, in the grad school lounge was like, Rachel, a lot of times you say things that you really should like think twice about because they come across as kind of mean. Mm. And like hearing that was pretty devastating because it meant one, this particular situation, she interpreted me being mean. And also this is happening often and, and no one's letting me know about this. Um, so that was, that was just one example. There are others, but um, that one like really, really stood out to me. It made me very concerned and of course, like added to the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I graduated and then I started working and uh, some of my initial feedback, um, both in grad school and in my, in my CF or clinical fellowship for um, people that aren't familiar with like what a clinical fellowship is, it's like the year after you graduate graduate school for speech therapy. Um, I, so my initial feedback was like, um, you need to be more flexible. You need to be more relatable. Um, so, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to be extremely flexible and I'm going to be extremely relatable. And the way I did that was just like, well, who's relatable that I work with? Like this person, this person, I'm just going to imitate how they act and I'm going to act like them um, and like their body language, and, uh, their tone of voice. And I'm going to think back to like in graduate school, who are the students or who are the clinicians who, who really came across relatable. Um, and I'm going to just emulate that. Um, and it worked. Like I got it, like I got significantly better uh reviews and stuff like I like parents really liked me they found me really relatable but it got to a point where like after doing that for for like 
years um, before every speech therapy session. Like I was itinerant, so I was driving around home to home um, for early intervention and pre-K. And like I'd be in my car just like, okay, like you're not really you. You're like you're 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 peppy and you're like relatable and you're and you're chipper and uh you're like really uh, like just showing them that you care you're not really real Rachel you're speech therapy Rachel and so I don't have to hype myself up before every session in order to like get through to get through you know playing that part um and around that time I learned about um, neurodiversity just through the internet. Um, I learned about, um, the concept of masking, which is where you were an autistic person, um, just essentially plays the part of being neurotypical, um, either through being explicitly taught or explicitly teaching themselves or through like positive reinforcement throughout their lives. That's just kind of how they've been shaped into acting. Um, And I learned about um, autism in in females. And And I'm hesitant to say that because, um, boys can also and then also the like lgbtq community can like can have like a this type of presentation too it's not just a female presentation it's just a specific type of presentation that happens more so in females um so and then i i know i'm talking a lot uh and and then i uh uh try to get a diagnosis uh i got my I had I won evaluation from a local psychologist and was diagnosed with social pragmatic communication disorder and OCD tendencies and generalized anxiety disorder, which was devastating. Um, and then I started counseling, and counseling was amazing. And um, really, I I learned a lot about things that are from my childhood that were like really shameful to me because they were looking back so autistic, like classic autistic types of things that you'd see in your own caseloads. That, but I I was socially aware enough to know like, this is weird. Like I'm just going to do it in private. Can you give us an example? Um, yeah, so yeah, so I mean I'll be I'll be real honest that I've been like debating anyway whether I want to like, you know, be this honest um on my like my own blog, but uh so even so like I Pretty much until I I don't remember exactly how long, probably until like the age of 10 um, would like 
with certain foods. Um, like chew it and like spit it out and then put it back in my mouth and spit it out and like do that repetitively. Um, and like, and these are things that like are, are, are like, are like gross, like autistic types of things that like you, you, you would say that you would see in like the severe kids, right? Um, or like I would like spit out like my phlegm and like just sort of like play with it with my hands and stuff. Um, and so I mean, clearly I had like sensory, I still, and I still have like sensory differences. And those types of things, um, I, I, I stop and I stop doing them. Um, but, but not when I was like three or four, but when I was like nine or 10. Um, and I still have like oral sensory, uh, differences, but they manifest in different ways, um, that are not socially uh, seen like it's, you know, I, I hide it. Like I, I chew up my tongue. Um, that's would be considered a, uh, self-injurious behavior. Um, but it, it is more acceptable than, uh, you know, taking, a chewy as you know an adult woman in in the job and like gnawing on that um so anyway that's a that's an example uh, I appreciate you sharing that because obviously that's very vulnerable of you and and I think for me myself and our listeners it 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 like you said, it, it, it attaches itself to like a more severe case of autism, but we're breaking those molds and we're understanding that, like you explained, you masked so much. And I do want to get into the implications of masking because I'm just now learning about all of these things. I actually did uh-huh. seek out Rachel support and she consulted uh-huh. me as an SLP and she is fantastic. And she opened my eyes to a lot of different things, but oh, thank, thank you for you. sharing that because it does help me and our listeners in this accepting everyone, you know? Yeah. And I think one ahead, thing Tisha. that listeners would really benefit from hearing, especially if you're listening to this and you've not had much experience with being around people with autism and seeing these behaviors. And it would be helpful to understand what behaviors might indicate something like that and how we should respond as neurotypical individuals to someone like that. And so, yes, very interested in talking about masking and how the fact that what you were saying about teaching the autistic person to behave the way a neurotypical person would, why that's wrong, because I I think that's a very big misconception. Yeah, yeah, I... I mean, like for this uh, specific 
example, not just like, so, I mean, I was socially aware enough to know like these things are weird. No one else is doing them. Um, but like, I, I still, I still had that sensory component. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, I guess to, I don't want to get, get really into like therapy here, but I feel like the bigger picture is that, um, because society is not So first of all, both of those two things I was doing were unsanitary. So, I mean, it it would be understandable for, for, for society as a whole and, uh, like therapists to want it to stop or to have to, to, to find another outlet for that. Um, because left to my own devices of, uh, of, you know, I just stopped that on my own because of society. And um, in addition to like, I, I put my hands in my mouth all the time. That's something I still do. Um, left to my own devices, it became just like gnawing at like the inside of my mouth. And I know other autistic people who've experienced um, have a similar kind of a sensory need start like biting at like their hands and then they they're like are their hangnails and it starts bleeding and stuff and so it can because of society go in a very negative direction and so I think I mean I would hope that we get to a point where an adult who has a adult jewelry type of a thing or um I mean, an adult, um, I mean, there are other more acceptable things like, like sucking on a uh, sugar free candy. Um, but like, I think when you see these things as children, uh, as opposed to like, just trying to get it to, to judging it as, as like, that's that's weird that's that's gross that's disgusting that can really i mean like that can really be internalized and go in a really negative direction i mean that's what happened with me and i'm i'm trying to shift my behaviors into my like oral uh sensory seeking type of stuff into like using a chewy or like chewing gum or sucking on a sugarless candy or like chewing on like a really chewy caramel or something like that. Um, and then you can see I have like this thing right here, which is, I mean, everyone finds this type of thing. I didn't even notice you had that though. It just came out of nowhere. For those listening, Rachel has a squishy fidget in her hand. Is this this not, uh, the visual isn't here. It'll just be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a, uh, like a sensory ball that has little beads in it. um, And I'm squishing on that right now. But like everyone loves these. Like you don't have to be autistic to defined pleasure in these. I find it so interesting because I find myself having a lot of sensory seeking behaviors too. Like when you talk about 
you know, gnawing at the inside of your mouth. Trish and I have talked about this many times. I do it so much. And Mm -hmm. it's something that people have started noticing. I've done it since I think I was like 10. Um, Mm -hmm. But while we're sitting here, I'm rubbing the fingers tips of my nails because I just painted them and it feels really nice to me. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I think not all people with, I mean, not all, this isn't solely for autistic people. Everyone has sensory mm-hmm. behaviors or sensory mm-hmm. aversive behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. And I like how you're starting to talk about it more and normalizing it. And I just think that's such a good way to start. Yeah. So let's, Go back a little. So back to your story. So you got this diagnosis, went to counseling, and then how has that impacted the way that you behave today? Are you still putting on this front of trying to be the bubbly, relatable person? Or yeah. how? That's a good question. So yeah, I started counseling and then I, I didn't finish. I did eventually get an official ASD diagnosis from and, that, and like that was a that was a extremely difficult uh, thing to actually like find someone who was who was willing to see like female speech therapist has already taken the ADOS. Uh, I'll take it again, just with different activities. And and, and I guess for people who don't know, ADOS is uh, considered the gold standard in um, diagnosing autism. So I just took different activities in it. Um, but yeah, so I got the diagnosis and then it was instantly like a a rush of like, like, I don't need to keep going back and forth. Um, like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Am I, am I not? For a while, um, I, I started to, to think I was just like, delusional like I was just um like actually like psychotic like I'm seeing and interpreting things that aren't really there so it was an instant rush of relief and and that is a very common narrative of people who who think that they found uh, an identity something to explain a lifetime of experience um feeling a feeling relieved and feeling um like happy uh as adults um so then going forward so this only happened in like last february oh wow it hasn't been that long and so you could say that i'm i'm still in this um I was still like processing it, um, but I I I guess a, a big outlet for that has has been um, Like I have, I have a story and then many other autistic adults have a, a pretty similar story, but there are kids that, you know, as speech therapists, we do currently see and, um, I can very easily see a link 
between how society, how parents, how providers, how the school system um, treats and reacts to autistic children. And I can very easily see all that that is going to end up likely like negatively impacting them mm-hmm. 10 years from now um, because that's how a lot, or I would say most autistic brains work. It's like um, the because being autistic is inherently um, you're you're different in a neurotypical world. Uh, you naturally would have more anxiety, and so because you naturally are at a higher state of anxiety, you're more susceptible to things that that wouldn't cause trauma to other kids would cause trauma to you. So it's like a lot of autistic people can recount very specific little things from, from their childhood that they, they felt very confused and they felt like things weren't fair and they felt, um, a sense of injustice or they felt, humiliated and 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 that's I mean impacts them to this day so um the way I've kind of focused my own processing of my own diagnosis is by trying to help how children um are current autistic children currently are uh, being uh, uh, treated at a larger scale, which is why I started the consultancy. Great. So is there anything you would say that for people who, like I said, that most of our listeners probably don't have a ton of experience with this, what should people know about autism that we just don't know if we're just mainstream America? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the common stereotypes are, um, you know, lacking empathy. In fact, um, one of my uh, friends from graduate school, like, when I told her eventually of the diagnosis, she was like, what? You have so much empathy. Like, (laughs) you help me so, like, so even... Even the people that should be the most knowledgeable about autism often still have these stereotypes. So, you know, it isn't just mainstream America. It can be doctors and psychologists. And I mean, I, you know, my, my, there's other autistic SLP, not just me. And we've found each other. Um, but, one of them was telling me how she ha- she was with a school psychologist who was uh, like, I thought the kid was autistic or had autism, but he smiled at me. So I know he's not. Oh, my gosh. And, 
so um, it's really like these these stereotypes really uh, are are with everyone, even people you wouldn't expect. So like lack of empathy, um, lack lack of. So if you if you are able to make eye contact, then you can't be autistic. Um, I know one that I've heard a lot has been like like the Big Bang Theory TV show, Sheldon Cooper. I feel like a lot of time people are like, mm-hmm. that's the only picture of autism they have in their brain. So if anything doesn't fit yeah. that mold, it's like, oh, that's not autism. Right. And so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. I'm like, my, my like conversational timing naturally is like not great. And then it's just like, Podcast. Well, yeah, add on top of the internet factor, which, you know, everyone's doing right now. I bet that's been interesting <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, the whole, like, Sheldon Cooper or uh, a lot of these names, like, the good doctor. I've never, I haven't watched mm. one. Um, but... Or, <laughs> They're really frustrating because they they portray someone who I mean Sheldon is they don't say it in the show uh, but like he's he's autistic okay but also like he's he's just a jerk and so <laughs> and 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 it. I wanted to make a blog post about this and like you you can be autistic and you can like be kind be a jerk and you can be neurotypical and you can be a jerk like I think a lot of people see um an autistic person maybe doing something and then interpret that as like oh well they're I guess they don't really care about my feelings or this and that but then if, if you then say to them, or if that is a neurotypical says to the autistic person, um, hey, actually, like, I, like, are you interested? Are you bored by what I'm saying? Or did I hurt your feelings or something? Like, the vast majority of the time, the autistic person would be like, oh, my God, I'm so, like, I'm so sorry. I did not, I did not, I had no idea. Ah, like, I had no idea I was, like, coming across this way. Mm-hmm. And like a Sheldon Cooper would be like, like your opinion is dumb or something like that. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, um, yeah, I, I, autism can take so many, uh, presentations and and there's people like me who, who are like, so I found that when, I'm talking to like other autistic SLPs. Um, We are all constantly afraid of offending each other. (laughs) Like we are all like, um, because we're shaped by a lifetime of accidentally offending the other person that you know, if the other person maybe pauses to kind of process things, we're thinking in our head, oh my gosh, like I offended them. And then we go into like, I'm so, I, I, is everything okay? Um, so 
Yeah, I, I don't like Sheldon Cooper is like not a not a good he's not a good guy. He's a jerk. I think that's interesting you bring that up too because we equate like having autism as that's their personality, that's who they are, right? And that's not completely true. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, during our consultation call, actually, Rachel, you brought up something that really resonated with me when you said, we teach people with autism or autistic people all the time how to behave and how to communicate with people, but we never teach neurotypicals how to communicate with autistic people or neurodiverse people in general. What are some tips and strategies you have for neurotypical people on how to communicate with the neurodiverse population? Okay. Um, So some of the sound got kind of cut off there, but I feel like I got the overall question, which was uh, how tips I have for being a neurotypical person communicating with uh, an autistic person. Yes. Or Um, anyone neurodiverse. Or anyone who's neurodiverse. Um, well, so most of the time you're not going to have someone who, who's like, Hey, I'm autistic or, Hey, I, uh, you know, I have ADHD or, you know, Hey, I have schizophrenia or bipolar. Like you, you're not going to have people who, who are just like coming up to you and saying that or in your work life are, are saying that. So, um, people that are neurodiverse are going to be more likely to do things that break that social uh, norm. Um, and I like I think that. Like, if I'm talking to just a general society, we need to be kinder. (laughs) We need to, if, if like, you know, if, if there is, uh, you know, you're, you're at work and, you know, you're doing, colleagues are having a conversation and then uh someone that I mean people of ADHD can can do this too just kind of go in and interrupt the conversation and uh or the person's autistic and then just goes in and interrupts the conversation like trying to get up in there and feel included and then naturally the rest of the group is going to be like Oh, this doesn't really concern you. Um, that person, that neurodiverse person, is going to gain the reputation of being, you know, annoying, of being like no one's going to want to be with them. And I think that just society needs to be like kinder, kinder. Just um, like acknowledge, like okay, well the way that they like enter this conversation was kind of unconventional, but let's try to include them. And then if that person then ends up 
being like just saying things that are that are that are that are um just outright mean or like um or if if the person is saying something that then maybe they don't realize it's me and maybe they're like um I don't know, saying like uh the other day I really think you could have done better on that report, Martha. Um and to them they're just being honest, but to Martha it's like er um maybe just be honest. Yeah, I just want to jump in for a second because you're hitting on a really great point. It's something that we've brought up in other ways, which is in general, what you're saying about society being kinder is in general, we shouldn't or we can try not to assign people's motivation for their behavior without digging deeper. And so instead of assuming, well, this person's just nosy and they jumped in or this person's so rude, it's the motivation for that person to be engaging in that behavior or saying the thing that they're saying may not have anything to do with you. And so it's really important that we take perspective and think, well, maybe there's something else going on in this person's brain that has nothing to do with us or this situation or this environment. So I think that's a huge, huge point that we can all start to put into practice in any conversation. Yeah. That was was really good. That was like, you took my rambly, like detail, 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 (laughs) into like main idea form. That's something that I'm, I'm, that's a, that's something that's very hard for me to like main idea. Hmm. Well, you're doing great. I'm loving all of this information. Something else that my brain thought of when you were talking about that, Rachel, was just also educating ourselves and getting out of our own Set, what's an egocentric version of our world, right? Like just mm-hmm. because our brains don't function the way that Rachel's brain does or another person who is neurodiverse doesn't mean we can't start to learn about that and accept it just for what they are. Because a lot of times I feel like we are scared of our own or we're scared of people that aren't like us. And it's hard for right. us to take that perspective. So if we don't learn about that, then right. it's going to be way harder to accept it. And that's something that we're doing here right now, right? Educating right. about all those behaviors and um, ways of thinking that is different than some people's. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, um, in, in, uh, I mean, I know in therapy, we, we do, you know, a lot of the perspective taking, types of things and it's really focused on the autistic person trying to take the perspective of the neurotypical person um and then through that the autistic person learns that well how they think is wrong um there's a there's a better way to think or there's a normal way to think and then your interpretation was misguided but i i i think well Everyone, everyone can benefit from perspective taking. Neurotypical people run into communication breakdowns all the time. Yeah, we have the podcast. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And so um, to, to only be focusing in on uh, aut- 
an autistic having to understand neurotypical communication, it's, it's, it just, I mean, it, it can continues this, uh, this story of like, I mean, mental health struggles continuing into adulthood. I mean, um, I don't know how, how like lighthearted your podcast tries to be, but there's some scary, uh, uh, end and, uh, results of, of, uh, prolonged, uh, masking. So, um, in, in any way that, that we can help neurodiverse people understand neurotypical people, but also help neurotypical people understand neurodiverse people. Like, I mean, that, uh, you know, so in fact, um, my friend and I, she's another autistic SLP, we're, we're um, creating, wah! sorry, my my headphone, I just, with my hands go all over the place, just yanked it out. Um, uh, we're creating a online course that's first starting with um, uh, social skills uh, for the young autistic child. Um, and the starting point is that like from the youngest age, people should be learning about what neurodiversity is, what neurotypicality is, um, and then just how brains can work different, different ways. And, and, and I mean, like we, we talk about with you know, you could say like a child, a young child wouldn't understand that, but like, I mean, if you present it in, in a, a child friendly way, they, they will. I mean, we talk about race and religion and, and all these, uh, kind of, you know, profound topics with children starting at a very young age. So, I mean, and, and then people are also starting to push for talking about like LGBTQ issues and or talking about um, other dis, like disabilities at a young age. So our argument is if you start talking about these things from a very young age, it can really shape how the youngest of us who eventually will grow up to be the oldest of us um treat other people. I think that would be hugely profound and what a shift we would see in the world if all neurotypical people or all people in general were educated about this stuff so that it's not, okay, well, this percentage of the population that's autistic, they have to be fake their entire life via masking in order to be successful. Like that's so self-centered of everyone that doesn't experience that. And it's just, we're like you mentioned, we're doing all this work with regards to race and there's so many movements happening with racial justice and everything that it's, we're not saying it's only up to, to black people to understand racism. Like, no, it's saying everyone needs to play their part. And so this is very similar and we should all be taking our, the steps to really understand that. 
One thing that I've been dying to ask, because as you know, from being in school, it is drilled into us that we don't use the word autistic. That was going to be my last question. (laughs) People first language. And I've told my friends this. I have told my mother this. And people first language means instead of saying autistic, you'd say a person with autism. Or instead of saying disabled, you say a person with a disability. So I'm curious from someone who is autistic slash has autism. Why did you choose the term autistic? Um, so that's a good question. Um, I mean, that's an excellent question. Cause yeah, I was taught the same thing you were taught in undergrad and in grad school. Um, and it come, I mean, it's important to understand why, why we were taught that we were taught that because it's the person that is important and they shouldn't be defined by their disability. But for many members of the autistic community, being autistic, I mean, it's their, it's their neurology. It is their identity. It, it, it's not, it's not like um, it's not like I'm trying to think of something. So an like, example I always use oh, when I'm ahead. explaining when I would explain the concept to people. An example I'd always use is you'd say a person has cancer. You wouldn't say a person is cancerous, but the way that you're explaining it to now makes a lot of sense because your brain, our brain, we live in our brain, like our thoughts form our reality. And so if your brain is characterized by these tendencies of autism, then of course, like you're saying, everything is that shapes your world versus cancer. That is one facet of the human being. That's not going to shape your every single thought. So didn't mean to interrupt, but that just wanted to. No, no, no. I, I, um, yeah, I've heard that example before and I, I think that um, although the majority of the autistic community does prefer identity first language, there are, there are some people that do prefer to say that um, they have autism. And I, in, in my conversation, um, I would say like, most of what I, how I refer to myself is autistic, but like you know, every now and then, depending on the flow of the conversation, I could say like, I have autism. Um, but I think that um, it's, it's, I think it's important to look at what the community whole uh prefers to refer to themselves as like I know that the deaf community it's like D capital D deaf and so um it's like I I am deaf I it's not like I have deafness um and then but I also know that actually down syndrome community prefer to say I have down syndrome um even though like down syndrome is like it's neurological it does affect you know every aspect of your identity but they prefer the phrasing 
um, I have Down syndrome. Um, Would you say it's safe to say, like, asking the person how they would prefer to be identified would be okay if they're old enough to have a preference? Um, yeah, I, 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 it, like, yeah, in general, um, I know it's hard to, like, work that into conversation, but, like, um, what I do is, like, with, uh, with younger children, I, I automatically go in, uh, like, autistic child, because I, there is an aspect of by sh- by helping the well, by helping the parent see that autism is not shameful and is part of the identity um, from a young age. I'm, I'm helping kind of shape how the family sees autism, but I mean, with, I mean, with older kids um, who. Hopefully they know that they're autistic. A lot of parents don't tell them. Um, hopefully they know. And yeah, asking them would would be fine. Yeah. Awesome. So many things that I want to ask you and go deeper into this, but we should start to wrap up. So we like to end okay. every episode with one tangible takeaway for our listeners. So if there was one thing that you could tell people... Oh, start doing not to put you on the spot or anything but one piece of advice or one thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with you're asking you're asking an autistic person to like (laughs) like main idea tangible takeaway Um, it doesn't even have to be a main idea it could be a small detail like if you think it could just be start saying autistic instead of with autism or just something small that people can do. I think, I think that I don't, we didn't even really get into this. We like, and earlier on, we talked about like, uh, uh, like severity of functioning, you know, that type of thing earlier. I think something that I, I want people to, to really keep in mind is that, like functioning labels and like severity uh, of autism and, and all those things are really are, are, are meaningless because you, you don't know an autistic person's uh, internal experience um, or their their yeah their thought process or uh you know with with someone who is an adult and completely um uses spoken language like me uh you 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 know you heard about some of my more uh sensory behaviors as a child that you would see in a child you would typically see a child that is more severe so it it gets very muddied so wait tangible takeaway one sentence uh uh severity and levels of functioning are kind of kind of meaningless just describe a person or let the person describe themselves describe them by strengths and 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 uh some I don't know. I'm see. I'm not great at this. Clearly, this like 
Fabulous. What I'm going to add to that, my takeaway for this episode would be what you just said, which is focus on their strengths. And so going back to what we were saying about taking perspective, and it's so easy to dismiss someone and think, oh, well, he's just rude because he's autistic or is just this way. So it'll never be normal. I'm not going to interact with that person or expect much from that person. But Autistic people and all people have so much to offer that you want to focus on their strengths. And there are a lot of really unique, positive qualities about autism and other neurodiverse diagnoses. And so it's really important that if we do focus on those strengths and say, what, you know, what do I love about this person? Well, how does this person bring joy to my life and what benefits are there? Then it really, I think, will alleviate a lot of the issues that are there in the first place and give us more patience and grace to handle those communication breakdowns. Like, for example, I'm not frustrated at all. If it takes you a few more longer sentences than it might take me to synthesize an idea because you're saying such quality information and it's very valuable. Aww. Well, thank so, you. <laughs> anything you'd like to add, Molly? No, I mean, again, as a speech therapist or someone else who lives on this world, (laughs) this is all really, really valuable information because we do need to start educating ourselves and taking perspective. And I think that's my takeaway is just take perspective on both ends. So thank you so much, Rachel. It was fantastic having you on the episode. Where can listeners find you if they want to know more or if they want to read any of your blog posts? Yeah, so thank you for so much for um, having me on. And uh, my website is www.dorseyslp.com. Um, you'll see options for my blog posts, for videos I've made, um, and about me, and um, like the consultancy um, services offered, and then parent coaching services offered. Um, I mean, focusing, um, both of those focusing on, uh, you know, helping children with autism or that are autistic. See there, there I go, you know, (laughs) that particular sentence, it, it felt better to say with autism, but I wish we had that freedom in, in school because I remember so many papers where I was like, it is so clunky to write this sentence with autism with, you know, every, every sentence was with that. I understand why we didn't have that freedom, but I just, anyway, great. Thank you so much for being here and everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow Rachel on social media and go check out her website. Thanks so much. Thank you.